Hello and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. It, as always, it is your host Nick Sararis. I hope everybody has enjoyed the shows so far this week. We've had some really good guests on. Talked about Formula One on Tuesday. Talked about the New York Rangers yesterday. We've had some really, really good guests. Josh Califin and I had a really in-depth conversation about a number of hockey topics. I talked with Formulina of F1 Twitter earlier in the week to get a little bit of a temperature check on how the F1 season is going so far. Today's episode will be about all things NHL free agency, which officially opened on Wednesday at noon. We had quite a bit of action leading up to it, a number of trades, some extensions for players that got traded. We had the expansion draft. We had a number of deals that might look to have been in place, but things that changed. We still have Jack Eichel waiting out there in the wings about where he might end up getting traded. But today's show is mainly going to center around the players that were signed on Wednesday. And my philosophy on how teams should approach free agency in the NHL, because we see teams making the same mistakes over and over again. But before I get to today's show, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. Now, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can help on social media by amplifying the show. If you see it on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever, share it on your story. Get it to other people. Help other people join the conversation. Now, if you want to be a part of the community, you got to follow the show's feed on whatever podcasting platform you like to use, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the main podcasting platforms this show is available. So, if you are an Apple podcast, you have an added responsibility because their charts are their charts kind of drive how podcasting stuff is found by the common folk because a majority of the world uses iPhones, so Apple Podcast is the dominant platform. So, if you are using said Apple podcasting platform, please follow the show. Go down to the show's homepage, go all the way to the bottom. There're going to be five clear purple stars. Hit the one furthest to the right, that's leaving a five-star review. If you have an extra minute, beneath that is a little button with purple letters that says write a review. If you have a minute, please leave a few words of encouragement. Support your content creators. We all work very hard to help make you guys a little bit smarter and hopefully give you guys some entertainment as well. Should have some written work up this week on the blog, Gotham Sports Network, at GothamSN on Twitter if you're not already following, which you should be. I do a lot of in-depth hockey work, a lot of analytics work, trying to make it more digestible and easier for people to understand. All that said, I'll see you guys in one second, and we're going to talk about why free agency gets so much hype but doesn't really actually live up to it. I'll see you guys in one sec. And now, it's time to unpack NHL free agency. So there are a few ways you can go about building your team. And every team's got every team has slightly different valuations of how they see players, so that's where you'll see some disparities. And each sport of the four major sports, the free agency and trade system are all a little bit different from each other. The NHL's free agency system in particular 
is closest to hockey in a sense. But, uh, excuse me. Hockey's system is most similar to baseball because it takes a very long time to become a free agent. Most of the time, you don't get to be a free agent until your late 20s in hockey and in baseball. It is set up like this on purpose, so teams that are smaller market, have fewer resources, are able to keep the players they draft high. So, for example... Just restricted free agency exists, so smaller market teams that don't make as much money as the other ones are able to keep players under contract for longer, even though that player might not want to be there. That That's the entire point of restricted free agency. So if you finish you know, with the worst record in the league and you pick second overall and you get Jack Eichel, you can keep him under team control until he's 26 or 27 years old, and he's not going to cost you as much as an elite player would because he can't negotiate with any other teams as a restricted free agent. When you're a restricted free agent, the only way another team can make an offer to you is if they give you an offer sheet and they have to give up draft picks if you accepted it and they did not agree to match it. Now, typically, there are a few different schools of thought with free agency. In my opinion, I have always felt that free agency is for luxury items, unless it's truly a superstar player that's available, like, say, an Artemi Panarin. Free agency is for luxury items. It's for a depth winger. It's for bottom pair defenseman it might be for a backup goalie because most of the assets that are getting there are not going to be the most high end the best players in the nhl do not become available in free agents for the most part we've had a few over the years we had artemi panarin we had john Tavares, we had steven stamkos i think that was 2016 players occasionally get to unrestricted free agency but for the most part teams lock these guys up especially now where we're seeing this wave of guys who as soon as their first entry-level contract ends and they're 21 22 years old they're signing the max eight-year extension to get as much money as possible right away and you're seeing it with teams like toronto is doing it tampa bay has done it now with a braden point agreed to an extension on wednesday they're trying to lock those guys up because you don't even want to worry about losing a guy to free agency so you got to keep that in the back of your mind first of all if someone is getting to free agency either a they desperately want to get out of where they are playing or b they're looking to cash in on their payday and i am going to say conflicting things here so so hang on number one i'm for every player getting as much money as they possibly can professional athletes have a very difficult job it might be just playing a child's game for a living but they do a lot of hard work their bodies take a toll they deal with lingering problems they play through pain so i'm never going to begrudge a player for getting as much money as possible but from an analyst side of things, from an expert in quotes side of things, you want to get as much production as possible for as little money as possible. So you want to get guys under contracts that are reasonable, that make sense, that won't look bad down the line. And that's the other thing is when these guys are getting to unrestricted free agency at 27, 28 years old, they want to cash out. They want to get one last big contract that'll carry them into their early 30s and they'll either go on long-term injured reserve or they'll play till the end of their contract and that'll be it for them. For the most part, you get to that point in your career, you got to get that one good paycheck, one good contract, and then you're not worried about finances for the rest of your life. You have generational wealth if you can make it to unrestricted free agency and you can maximize your value. And we saw a number of guys do it. Uh, The headliner in this draft class was Dougie Hamilton. Make no mistake, Dougie Hamilton's a very good 
good hockey player. Played defenseman, originally drafted by the Bruins, traded to Calgary, traded to Carolina, been on a number of teams, always been a very analytics-friendly player, really strong transition player, really good influencer of possession of the puck. When Dougie Hamilton is on the ice, his team usually has control of the puck, which is what we're shooting for here. Hamilton got the biggest unrestricted free agent ticket over the week over the course of Wednesday, nine million dollars a year for eight years, a seventy-two million dollar valuation on the contract, five hundred thousand dollars less per year than Seth Jones. Jones is, I believe, a year or two younger than Hamilton, so Ham Jones is also a year away from unrestricted free agency, so he's playing under his contract that he signed previously and then that extension will kick in after the following season so you get an idea here uh, Hamilton is a very high-end player and someone the Devils desperately needed to kind of get their team going in a direction because the Devils have been more or less going in a circle here for three years since Taylor Hall won MVP so Hamilton I don't know if Hamilton made sense for the Devils from a sense that so much of their team is so young and Hamilton is already you know if not at the peak of his prime, probably close to the beginning of the downslope of his prime, just based on the way we understand how aging curves work. So it's going to be interesting to see how Hamilton in New Jersey shakes out. But in terms of the functionality of free agency, like I said, you're, we're using free agency on smart teams for luxury items. We're getting a power play quarterback for our second for our second power play. We're getting a depth winger, we're getting a power play specialist, we're getting a third pair defenseman, we're getting a 1B goalie for our goalie because anything else aside from a superstar is going to be overpriced. And when I say overpriced, I mean relative to their production. So the obvious ones that jump out, the Blake Coleman's of the world, the Phil Deneau's of the world, the Nick Felinos, the Zach Hyman's, those players with those type of skill sets, they all got overpaid today. And I, I've often called it a free agency tax where players get about a million and a half dollars more than they would have if they were a restricted free agent as an unrestricted free agent. So you, you got to figure if Dougie Hamilton had stayed with the team that was trying to extend him Carolina, it probably would have only cost Carolina maybe say eight, eight and a half million dollars a year. But on the unrestricted free agency world, he had to get nine. And that's where you get into these problems where your, your contracts don't look great. That, that's the big thing. When you let guys get to unrestricted free agency, you are pretty much always going to end up overpaying them unless they are truly elite. If you are talking about a truly elite player, then they will live up to the worth of their contract. Someone like an Artemi Panarin, Dougie Hamilton very well could live up to it. The Braden Point extension was not unrestricted free agency, but Braden Point is going to be worth the $9.5 million Tampa Bay is paying him. And that that is one of the reasons I lose my mind when I hear people say, well, I like the player, I don't like the contract. Those are the same thing. I really hate to tell you, in a salary cap sport, players and contracts cannot be separated from one another. And that's where we get into some of the problems with free agency. And one of the problems the NHL in general has here is the NHL constantly preaches that its greatest feature is parity, that anything can happen, that any team that makes the playoffs can win the Stanley Cup if they get hot at the right time. 
and that leads teams to make short-sighted decisions that are not in the best interest of the franchise. It is why teams go out and give third-line players five and a half, six million dollars a year because they're just trying to get in the mix. That way, you can sell some tickets. You can tell your owner, "Look, we signed this player. He's going to sell some jerseys, and we're getting closer." Even though you're not actually getting closer to winning a Stanley Cup. You can tell your owner, hey, if we can make the playoffs, we might have a chance at winning the Stanley Cup. And and fair play to the general managers staking their jobs on unrestricted free agents. That kind of seems crazy to me that you wouldn't try and build the healthiest franchise you possibly could, that you would operate with such a short-sighted view of things. I understand general manager is a very year-to-year job. The average shelf life of a GM is only about four and a half, five seasons. So executing a rebuild, you only get one chance at it. And that's why so many teams or general managers are hesitant to do it. You're better off almost being the Brad Tree Living or the Kevin Cheveldayoff who your team is always decent, but it's never awful. So you get to stay in your job forever. And that de-incentivizes good business practices that that's one of the problems i have here is you are incentivizing the wrong types of roster transactions when the entire league is trying to get these guys and they are doing it in the sake of just trying to make the playoffs as opposed to win because the most efficient way to do this if you are a team is if you let someone get to unrestricted free agency you know that uh, the team who they were with felt they were not worth what the price they were asking for was, and they had more information about that player than you do because he's not on your team. So that's number one. So if a team is willing to let someone go, that already tells you there might be something that's a little bit wrong with them, even if their results are decent. Again, there are exceptions to this rule. The John Tavares's, Artemi Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky's, the guys who want to leave their current situation for other factors, not just looking for a payday. That is one of the things. Number two, I'm looking down here at my notes. That's why I said number two, even though I'm in the middle of a long rambling sentence here. You're trying to buy credibility if you're some of these general managers and other franchises. Look at what the Rangers did. They went out and got Barkley Goudreau and they traded for Sammy Blaze solely to say we have two Stanley Cup winners on our team now. And that is trying to buy credibility. Now, Those guys haven't won a Stanley Cup for the Rangers, and they had very tertiary roles on the teams they won Stanley Cups on, but they are trying to use the players' accomplishments in other places as credibility for their own team. It's something they can point to, to tell their owner, to tell the writers on their beat, and the beat writers eat that intangible shit up. The amount of times I've heard Larry Brooks talk about will over skill guys, guys who just want who guys who've won and been there before and the value that has respectfully, unless we're talking about a Braden point, we're talking about a Nikita Kucherov, a Mark Messier, someone who's won a Stanley Cup as a primary contributor. I don't really want to hear them winning a Stanley Cup as a main accomplishment because Hockey's a team sport. We're talking about guys who are third and fourth line players. Third and fourth line players play 13, 14 minutes a night total, including power play penalty kill. So they are not playing a significant portion of the game. And I talked about this with Josh Califin yesterday. You got to think about your game as a math problem. 
you have 60 minutes of game time. You usually have somewhere around 48-ish, 45 minutes of five-on-five ice time a game. And then you have to figure out your special teams. But you're trying to balance things out here. You want to use your best players. In theory, you want to have your first line playing about 20 minutes, your second line playing about 17, 18 minutes, and then you got to fill in the rest with your third and fourth line. That you got to fill in the rest with your third and fourth line. And the third and fourth line guys have the smaller role for a reason. If they were a better hockey player, they would have a bigger role on their team and they would not be relegated to only playing X number of minutes per game. This is common sense here. Your best players play the most minutes because they are your best players and they have a better chance of influencing the game to go in your direction. And that is why these teams are trying to poach credibility from other organizations by going out of their way to get people who have won things because they get to say, we have a Stanley Cup winner on our team, even though he didn't accomplish it with the team that signed them. And that is in part to that self-preservation streak where these general managers are de-incentivized from rebuilding and trying to win sustainably because they know they just got to make the playoffs. If they just keep making the playoffs consistently as a GM, they'll stay. A coach makes the first round five years in a row. They get, they get fired the sixth year if they lose in the first round again. That, that's the thing here. The general managers are acting in the interest of themselves and their job security not in the interest of the team trying to win a Stanley Cup or in what the fans want, a team that wins the Stanley Cup. And I keep going back to this quote. I've used it a lot over the last few weeks. I I will admit I did reread Moneyball for like the eighth time over the last couple weeks, so it's stuck in my mind. But one of the things Billy Bean says, Billy Bean, the former A's general manager, now he's their president of baseball operations, says is, Sometimes the best move you make is the move you don't make because it's easier to replace a player you didn't sign than to get rid of a player you did sign. You sign a player to a bad contract, you have to give up something, whether that's buying the player out and losing a portion of your cap space, or you have to give up an asset to another team to take that. So that is what we're talking about here when we say sometimes the best move is the move you don't make at all. You gotta be smart in terms of your planning. You cannot be just doing things for the interest of your own job security. You have to set something up. And the the, the irony of this is that if a general manager comes out and says, okay, we're rebuilding, we have to trade our veterans, we gotta start over because we're not close to winning a Stanley Cup, and you sell the fan base this outright because your fan base is smart, you have to explain it to them. Some of of your fan base won't be receptive to a rebuild, some will, but you will figure it out, and you get to buy yourself time when you start over, which is why I'm a little bit more surprised more teams don't full-on rebuild. You look around the league, there are some teams who sign people to unrestricted free agent contracts today that absolutely should be rebuilding. The Edmonton Oilers just throw money like drunken sailors, and uh, Cody Cece and Zach Hyman, terrific. Okay, you're not any closer to a Stanley Cup than you were a couple days ago before you signed those guys. You, you talk about some of the people who got contracts. You talk about a Michael Hoffman going to Montreal, a David Savard going to Montreal. 
those guys aren't moving the needle. Mike Hoffman is a power play specialist at this point. He's really only scoring on the power play because he's not as good a skater. He's not in as good position at five-on-five situations. He cannot pass the puck. He's purely a shooter at this point. David Savard is a defensive defenseman who's about to turn 30 with a lot of miles on his legs, and you're banking on him aging well, which is not something I would necessarily bank on because of the nature of the players who get to unrestricted free agency. These are depth players who play harder minutes because if they played a more polished, skill-centric game, they would play higher up in the lineup and they'd have less wear and tear on their bodies and they'd be able to age better. But a lot of these guys who are getting unrestricted free agency are the depth guys, the guys who play dump and chase, the defensemen who have to win those puck battles in the corners on the dump-ins. Those are the type of players we're talking about here. And those guys don't age well, which is another part of this equation that you're giving people six-year, seven-year contracts and unrestricted free agency because they need the job security and they're trying to cash out. We know hockey players don't age well. We know that for the most part, hockey players reach their statistical war production in their mid-20s. So wins above replacement, so accounting offense and defensive impacts. And we know they typically produce their maximum counting stats, so goals and assists, in their late 20s. So right around when they typically go to unrestricted free agency is when players usually reach their peak counting stats. Because like we talk, I talked about with Josh Califin yesterday, that is usually when a player is getting the most ice time of their careers, when they are in their late 20s and they are certified established contributors at the NHL level. So we are talking about players who are flawed, who are going to be overpriced based on what their impact to the game is. And that is why you cannot afford to say, I want to separate the contract from the player. I like what the player brings, but his contract is bad. So I'm going to suck it up. You can't think like that. You have to want better. And that's one of the things that I've been very frustrated with over the last couple of weeks with some of the Ranger fans who've interacted with me on social media is I'm not complaining. We all want the same thing. We would like the Rangers to win the Stanley Cup. Anytime I'm saying this is a bad decision, it's not that I'm, I want the Rangers to do bad or I think the Rangers, well, sometimes I do think the Rangers are dumb, actually, but I'm not complaining for just to complain. I'm complaining because we should be demanding better. The Rangers ask ridiculous amounts of money just to go see one game, to buy one beer, to buy one hot dog. They want you to buy the 210 Adidas authentic jersey. They want you to buy the $35 Adidas hat. They want you to buy the game-worn apparel from the NHL shop. They want your time and your money. If your time and money is the goal... They need to do something that proves worth of it. They can't just show up and exist and say, okay, we're here, we want your money. you got to make it worth it. And that's part of this disconnect that's really emerged between people who think about sports the way I do and people, fans who think about sports the way I do as opposed to the people, some people who think of themselves as fans as being part of the team, that they say we, and yes, I say we as well, but... I don't view myself as an extension of the team. I don't take criticism of the players as a criticism of myself. I criticize the team as much as anyone because I want the team to do better. I want them to make smart decisions. I would rather them try and make a bunch of smart decisions and those decisions not work out than them to make some irrational decisions like they've been doing over the last couple of weeks, trying to chase some mystical formula, a combination of grit, leadership, and character and intangibles 
when I would rather just take my chances on trying to create more scoring chances than the other team because we know that over time, if you create more scoring chances than the other team, you are more likely than not to win the game, and that is the goal here. We are trying to win hockey games in a sustainable manner. And when teams are doing things, looking for guys who have resume things as opposed to production, you are going to overpay. Intangibles are nice. Leadership is nice. You can't put a premium on those because you cannot evaluate those. You have no idea what someone's leadership is like if they're not on your own team. Someone might be a leader in one locker room and come to another team, and they won't be able to because it's not their locker room. They don't know anyone. They're not going to be able to use influence they did the way they did at their previous stop. And that's another reason I lose my mind when we talk about things like size, character, grit, leadership those things are resume things what can you actually do here's a good example let's talk about blake coleman who the calgary flames gave a pretty contract to he's getting a decent amount of money per year for five years calgary is a team in flux they are firmly middle of the pack to slightly below middle of the pack. They gave Jacob Markstrom a big contract last year. They signed Chris Tanev, big contract last year. They have Matthew Kachuk. They have Johnny Goudreau. They have Sean Monaghan. They traded Sam Bennett. They have Andrew Mangiapane. They lost Mark Giordano in expansion. They still have Noah Hannafin. But they are not what you would call a Stanley Cup contender. So why did they go out and overpay for someone who's been a middle six forward his entire career? I think Blake Coleman is a pretty good hockey player. I saw a lot of Blake Coleman over the years when he was a devil because I went to so many devils games, and he was always one of the hardest-working players on the ice. He was winning the puck battles. He's got a decent shot. He can occasionally make a nice highlight real play, but he is a middle-six player. He's not going to give you more than 20 goals. 20 goals is a high season for him. You put him on your third line if you're Tampa, and he's a luxury on your third line as Tampa Bay, and he doesn't cost you a lot. He only costs you about $3.5 million because he, he was on a restricted free agent contract the devils gave him so that is reasonable if you're going to get 16 goals out of someone for three and a half four million dollars that's not bad if you're going to play blake coleman as your second line right wing and you're going to give him six and a half million dollars six million dollars a year five million five and a half six million dollars per year what do you think you're going to get from him so he's not going to play power play so he's going to play penalty kill he's going to give you 13 to 15 minutes of five on five maybe four minutes of seven, eh, somewhere between, somewhere around 19 total minutes of ice time, including power play and not power play, penalty kill and five on five. And that's the thing here. Can you get fair value for what this guy is going to do? I don't think Blake Coleman is going to give the Calgary Flames that much value for that many years. He's going to decline. Aging players, physically oriented players, do not age well. And you look at the guys who got big tickets today. You talk about Zach Hyman. You talk about Blake Coleman. Nick Foligno didn't get a big ticket, but he got one. He got a reasonable contract. David Savard, decent contract. Zach Hyman, I mentioned. Phil Deneau got a pretty big contract from the Kings. These are teams that are prioritizing different skill sets. And this is another thing I talked about with Josh Califin yesterday. What is your production worth? How much value does this trait have? Some teams are putting value on things like grit, puck retrievals, checks, block shots. 
Other teams are putting more value on playmaking, chance creation, goal scoring. And you have to find the right recipe of value in relation to traits. You cannot be paying the same amount you do for puck retrievals that you do for goals because that would be inefficient. Puck retrievals are a very common event during the course of a hockey game. There are hundreds throughout the course of a hockey game. And when I say a puck retrieval, I mean that is a loose puck that someone is picking up and taking into their control for their team. That happens a couple hundred times a game, probably more than that, honestly, because I've never counted it manually. You know how many goals there are in most hockey games? Like five and a half, six. There's a lot more puck retrievals than there are goals. So paying more for puck retrievals than you would be paying for goals would be an inefficiency. You want to be as efficient as possible in your spending. You want to pay as little as possible for as much as possible. So if you're paying a premium for what Zach Hyman does, where he's playmaking, he's puck retrievals, low-end goal scorer, but still can contribute offensively, kill penalties, net front guy on the power play, he does a lot of things, but, but he is aging. As he gets older, he will be less effective. So even if Zach Hyman is good for two or three years at that outsized cap hit the Oilers gave him, he will not be worth it throughout the life of the contract. And again, I know a lot of people like to say, well, eventually they can just move the contract. Well, if you are justifying a contract by saying, well, they can move it, it's fine. It is a bad contract. And I think there is value in what some of these guys do. What a Phil Deneau is able to do as a matchup center where he effectively... He played really damn well down the stretch for the playoffs in the Canadians. Montreal was using him... With Gallagher and then Jake Evans or, or Terry Lekkinen, very good defensive play. Keeping the other team to the perimeter, not giving clear shooting lanes. That stuff does have value. But goals are always going to be worth more than defense. I, I, I really do want to talk about this because it's one of the interesting things I've been trying to work out in my own evaluations and talking with Josh yesterday really started making me think about it. Is defense worth as much as offense? Is a goal for worth more than a goal against or vice versa? Or are they even? And I'm inclined to think a goal for is worth more than a goal against because even if you don't give up any goals against, you still don't win the game because it would be 0-0. That is why I think you have to, at a base value, assume that offense has more value than defense because you can play a perfect game defensively and still not win the game. You'd end in a tie and you'd go to overtime in the shootout. So at in its essence, I think you have to say that offense is worth more, and it's why you're going to see guys who score more get more money per year because those guys add the most value. So not going to dwell too long here on any of the individual signings, just we're talking about the same problem reflected on a bunch of different teams. Are, are they putting a value on the right traits for your hockey team? Are they valuing puck retrievals? Are they valuing goals? Or are they evaluating resume things? Are they looking at the profile picture and saying, oh, he's six foot four, he's 235 pounds, but yeah, he only gets 44% of the scoring chances of five on five for his entire career. Well, we want him because he's big. 
If you're looking at resume traits as a justification for a player, you cannot be doing that and have an efficient roster. It's part of why I'm worried the Rangers are going to go and trade for a Ryan Reeves or a Nick Delorier. They already went and got Jacob Tenorti, the very tall, very only punches people from the Bruins, solely, solely to dress for games against the Capitals, which sucks because those games are going to matter for the division but you're going to be dressing a player who doesn't give you anything. Terrific. He can punch Tom Wilson's face in. They're not going to win the hockey game. Even if they knock Tom Wilson unconscious and he has to go to the hospital, that still would not mean the Rangers won the game. You need to score more goals than the other team. If you're not contributing to that, you are part of the problem. So getting to the last part here, the just the big picture evaluation. None of the signings today moved any team closer to winning a Stanley Cup. The the contenders are still who we thought they were going into next season. You gotta figure, Tampa Bay will be back. Florida probably will be back. In the West, Vegas will probably be back. Colorado will probably be back. Toronto, Boston, Washington, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, all of those teams that were in the playoffs this past season... They will be back. None of those teams made dramatic moves and signed anyone that is going to dramatically alter the course. And none of the non-playoff teams that signed someone are going to do any better because they signed said player. You, You think about it. So the Oilers got swept out of the first round in the Jets because... They only got score. They got no scoring to speak of. They got could not score at all. What do they do? They overpay for a second line left wing who might play with Dreisaitl or might have to play with Nugent Hopkins if they decide to do the McDavid Dreisaitl line together at five on five, and that is going to get you the same problem. Great, you have one more guy who can score. You still have two, a third and fourth line that give you next to nothing offensively, and you're banking on. 40-year-old Mike Smith to bail you out again against a not just the North Division schedule, which kind of seems like a risky proposition considering that was a pretty soft division in the regular season. Like I said earlier on, teams do not let their best players get to free agency unless that player is hell-bent on getting the hell out of there. And it's why you see some of these teams make moves before they're ready. The Devils signing Dougie Hamilton is a nice move. The Devils will not be competing for a Stanley Cup within probably three years from now. Maybe in year four of that Hamilton contract, the Devils can be a Stanley Cup contender. But by then, he's going to be 32, and he probably won't be as good defensively. He might shift into a more offense-only Brent Burns type of production, which has value, but it's not as well-rounded. It won't be worth the nine-ish million dollars he's going to be paid per season. Phil Deneau on the Kings. The Kings aren't close to contending. They don't have a goalie. They have one defenseman. They have two lines. Great, you got Phil Deneau. Okay, when's Quentin Byfield going to be ready? When's Arthur Kuliev going to be ready? But when is Turcotte going to be ready? They have all these guys, but you're paying Phil to know right now why? It's just a fundamental misunderstanding. And it goes back to what I talked about in the first segment of general managers doing things just to stay on the job longer. They're trying to get their team closer to that soggy middle so they can just say, well, we're in the mix. We'll trade for someone at the trade deadline. We'll push for the playoffs. We'll sell some tickets. Look, Mr. Owner, we're a playoff team. 
Let me keep my job another year. Okay, guy. And then the cycle persists. General managers have taken the wrong lessons away. Free agency is for luxury shopping. You build your team through trades and the draft. Anything else is probably going to be too much of an overpayment to help you compete. You look at the recent contenders, uh, the recent championship teams, you look at both Lightning teams, Lightning don't have any marquee free agents. They traded for some guys, and they got some restricted free agents on cheap deals, but they didn't go out and pay anyone in free agency because they understood. Their key contributors were all under contract. Stamkos, Point, Kucherov, Hedman, Vasilevsky, those are all in-house guys. So those guys were cost-controlled until they weren't, and then because Tampa Bay built something so nice, all those guys agreed to take less money. Point, if Point wanted to get as much money as possible, he would have taken a bridge deal, taken two bridge deals, got him to 27, and took as, gotten as much money as possible. Some team would have given Braden Point $11.5, $12 million a season if he got to free agency. Instead, Tampa... Nine and a half, because you can't make more than Kucherov, and you can't make more than Vasilevsky. We got a culture here, and it's a great mystery why teams don't take away the right lessons. They take away what they want to take away, and that has really been my biggest awakening in terms of understanding hockey at a professional level is people take away what they want to take away from what we're watching here. Some people watched the Lightning win two Stanley Cups and said Kucherov and Point combined for 128 points over two seasons. Other people watched and said Barkley Goudreau, Blake Coleman, and Yanni Gord grinded the other team in the dust and they outchanced them, grinding away and cycling the puck, and that's why the Lightning won. Well, you see, they weren't there before the Lightning won. Before the Lightning won a cup, they didn't have a Blake Coleman, a Yanni Gord, or a Barkley Goudreau. They got there and they won. I am inclined to believe that if your two best players produce at over a point a game, I think you're going to be a pretty good team in the playoffs. And having a quality third line helps, but I don't know how much having a quality third line in the grand scheme of things helps, especially, especially because you've got to consider Tampa Bay did this over the salary cap because it was in the playoffs. If the Lightning had their full roster healthy, they would not have had David Savard. They would not have been able to give Braden Point an extension last year. And so that is part of why I'm still kind of stupefied here about the teams that are using that as an excuse to load up on those bottom six guys. Tampa Bay didn't pay a lot for those bottom six guys. Tampa Bay is going to do something similar this upcoming season. They're going to replace people. Yanni Gord went to Seattle. Coleman went to Calgary. Barkley Goudreau to the Rangers. They'll slide Ross Colton up. They'll bring someone up from the AHL. I imagine Mitchell Stevens will get in there. Maybe Matthew Joseph will get in there. They have enough guys in their system where they can replace bottom six players. And that is the thing I would say to these teams. You want these grit, intangible leadership guys? develop them it's so much cheaper the hard part is getting the stars if you get the stars in place finding the depth is easy you gotta get the top six your producers your top three defensemen so one two so your first pair and then the third guy on your second pair you gotta get that in place before you start worrying about the depth that's why some of these don't really make a ton of sense great you got zach hyman McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins. Okay, who else? Kyler Yamamoto? Maybe. Yeshi Pugliarvi? Maybe. Then that rest of the bottom six is kind of a question mark. And 
the Oilers have spent forever looking for the wrong traits. They went out there and they went for a James Neal because he won a Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh. They went out there. No, wait, excuse me. James Neal did not win a Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh. He was on Nashville and lost to Pittsburgh. I I recant my previous statement. They went out and got James Neal because he had a really good season in Vegas. They went out and they signed Milan Lucic because he was a leader and he'd won a Stanley Cup and he was tough. They went out and signed Kyle Turris to an extent to a contract when he was pretty much done in Nashville. And teams taking away what they want to take away instead of what actually happened is why we see such a varying difference of opinion and what's important from these teams. You think about some of these decisions where general managers are going out of their way to sign these guys to overpriced contracts because they need justification to keep their job longer. That is why I get frustrated. We know too much about hockey to still be thinking about things at a one-dimensional level. You can't just be looking at production. Does the production match the contract? Okay, that's two dimensions. Does the player fit what you need? If you need a specific skill set, if you need a third-line right wing, well, that guy can't be a 45% possession player and a negative goal differential. He's got to actually be able to play if you get a third-line wing. It's great he can hit people. If his hits don't lead to puck recoveries and scoring chances, his hits aren't worth anything because they are not equi- giving you a better chance of scoring. Whew, got kind of fired up here. I was not expecting to be all bitchy about this, but I, I just kind of got mad, man. We know too much about hockey to still be acting stupid. That is the thing. We know too much about the game to be letting our preconceived biases influence our opinions. We need to see tangible results. Is this player helping us score goals? That is the essence of hockey. Yes, it's good to have guys who can stop the other team from scoring, but again, like I said before in my working, talking out, if the game is still 0-0, You do not win the game. You need to score more than the other team does to win. If any general manager is listening out there, it is not that hard. I promise. I forget who tweeted it. I forget what hockey media person said it, but I'm entirely confident I would not be the single worst general manager in hockey if I was given the reins to an NHL team with just the Patreon subscriptions I have. If I was just in charge of a team with Jay Fresh analytic, Jay Fresh's analytics, with with uh, Micah Blake McCurdy's, with the Evolving Wild Twins, with Corey Schneider's um, micro stats tracking, I, I think I could put together a pretty competitive team and try and find value where these teams are missing. And that's the thing here. It's all about value and The dirty secret about free agency is there isn't a ton of value in free agency at the top. You have to go to the bargain bin for value. It has to be the third pair D you get for a million bucks. It has to be the fourth line wing you get for two million bucks. That is the thing. There is value in free agency, but you have to be looking in the right place. With all of that said, I'm going to get you guys out of here We will be talking the Major League Baseball trade deadline with Chris Schweitzer tomorrow. The moves are happening. The Rangers did Joey Gallo to the Yankees. We still assume there are going to be a number of moves. The Cubs 
have yet to really get their uh, fire sale going. They traded one reliever, many as many as six guys the Cubs could trade. So there, there's a lot going on. There is a whole lot going on. And Chris will help me break it down as good as possible. Chris is maybe the best baseball guy I know in terms of expertise. So, And Chris really meant knowing like 10 prospects deep for every organization. Really, really good show in store for you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Go back and check out the conversation with Josh Califin that aired on Wednesday. It's still in the feed. Or check out the one with Formulina on Tuesday. Got good guests lined up for next week. We're going to talk some baseball. We're going to talk hockey. Going to try and get us looking towards college football. Anyone say college football? We're only three weeks away from week zero. We're getting there, folks. All right. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a good one.